Well, good evening. Glad to see you. We've come together for a study of the Word of God. It's altogether fitting that we should do this. We need this. It's our spiritual food, and we need this if we're going to grow. We need this if we're going to be healthy. And so we have come uh, tonight to open the Word of God, that we might be edified, challenged, stimulated with regard to our spiritual life, our responsibilities, and to see what God has for us. As we uh, come together, we need to remember that uh, the Lord has a plan for each of us. He has a purpose for us at this time in this place, and we need to focus on fulfilling that purpose. Pastor is in Africa. He's on vacation. The report I got was he he got to preach at the church in Livingston, Zambia, where I have been going for many, many years. And uh, boy, he, he had the preacher's delight. He got to preach for two and a half hours. They, I mean, you, you've got to love those African people. I love to go there because I can preach as long as I want to. And uh, and they, they will just sit there and they will soak it up. And uh, they, they, there are uh, no constraints on the time. And uh, I, I was reminded uh, one of my early trips to Africa, and I was I, I was very uh, concerned. We're not starting on time. And I said, "Hey, it's time. We need we need to get started." And the pastor there looked at me, said, "Jim, he said you have the watch, but we have the time." <laughs> so. <laughs> um, so Robbie got to to preach, and uh, the pastor of the church wrote to me and said that uh, it was a real blessing for his congregation. They loved it. They loved Robbie. And so I'm uh, very glad he got to go and to uh, to meet Charles, uh, who's a, a man who's been studying with us for quite a number of years, and he has just grown so tremendously and uh, it's just a delight to work with him and uh, to see now he has gotten a reputation as being the Bible teacher in Zambia. And now he is getting invitations not only to speak all around the country, but even in other countries now he is being invited to come and do conferences. And so uh, that's, the, uh, <clears throat> that's the power of, of the Word of God. All right, so as we come to our Bible study uh, let's take a moment to uh, examine ourselves and uh, ask that the Holy Spirit uh, would illuminate us, our thinking, our understanding. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks that you're a God of patience. You put up with us. Uh, you've not dealt with us according to our sins. You've not rewarded us according to our iniquities, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is your mercy toward those who fear you. We thank you that we have freedom to come together to study your word, and we can proclaim that this is absolute truth, 
And so we give thanks for this revelation and the fact that we can each possess his own copy. Father, we continue to pray for Robbie as he is gone, that you're going to watch over him and Pam and the Donahoes, that you're going to protect them. You'll keep them safe from injury, from evil. We pray that you're going to keep them in health. And we pray that you're going to bring them safely back. We pray now that as we open your word together that the Holy Spirit would give us understanding about the things that we will study so that we might grow in regard to our knowledge of your plan, your purpose, your provision for us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, we have responsibility with regard to missions. This is something that God has revealed to us in his word. In the Old Testament, the agency through which God worked out his plan was Israel, and they had a mandate to be a light to the Gentiles. They were responsible for missionary activity before Messiah came, and for the most part they failed miserably as far as being Uh, missionaries as far as reaching out to Gentiles. In fact, they became quite exclusive, very provincial. They weren't too excited about Gentiles becoming Jews, proselytes, and uh, worshiping with them. So they tried to exclude them, and so they really did not fulfill that purpose of being missionaries. But when Jesus came to the end of his earthly ministry, he emphasized to the disciples that they had a responsibility, and this is something that would carry into the church age. And so we have an imperative for this period of time, the church, and frequently this is referred to as the Great Commission. Jesus gave direct commands to the church to evangelize the world. And this was given not just once, it was given several times in that brief space of 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension into heaven. Now, prior to this time, Israel was responsible for spreading the gospel. Uh, and the during the ministry of Christ, he sent out his disciples. He said, go out and preach to Israel, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, go only to them and declare that the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, it's about to be ushered in. Go and preach this. Well, the people rejected that message. They rejected the king who had come. And so in Matthew chapter 13, You have the unpardonable sin, which was committed by Israel. It was a sin that would not be committed. And because they have rejected their Messiah, God will set them aside as the agency through which he is working out his plan on the earth. And so no matter what Israel did after that, their doom was sure. So they are going to be destroyed in 70 A.D. as a nation. But in the meantime, after God sets Israel aside, we have a new institution, which is the church, the body of Christ. 
And Jesus emphasized, you are to do what Israel has failed to do. You are to take the gospel to all the world. Now, about half of the words recorded concerning Jesus after his resurrection until his ascension form some uh, iteration of what is known as the Great Commission. And it's found in different forms at the end of all four gospel records and in Acts chapter 1. And so this commission is the first command that he gave to his disciples after his resurrection from the dead. And it is his last command that he gave to his disciples just before his ascension. And he also gave it in the middle of those 40 days. So this ought to get our attention. If you do it at the beginning, in the middle, at the end, it becomes quite obvious this is a matter of great importance. And so uh, let's take a look at these um, five different statements of basically the same thing, but they are given at different times to different audiences with a slightly different emphasis. So it's found in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. That's the one with which we are most familiar. The command is to make disciples of all nations. The focus is on uh, baptizing and teaching people to obey. In Mark 16, uh, we are told to preach the good news, to go into all the world. In Luke 24, repentance, forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed to all the nations. In John 17, Jesus said, I am sending you into the world. You are not of the world, but you are in the world, and you are to be the personal representatives of Jesus Christ while he is absent from the earth. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says, You are to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. All right, so in John chapter 17, in verses 15 through 18, now this is the night of the resurrection. A lot of things have happened since Jesus Uh, was raised from the dead. You had the women going to the tomb. You had Peter and John going to the tomb. You had Jesus appearing to Mary Magdalene. Then you had Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And then the disciples, they are huddled together, locked in a room, scared to death. They are afraid that the Jews are going to come after them arrest them, perhaps put them to death, even as they had done Jesus. And so they are fearful, and they are behind locked doors. And Jesus appeared, walked through the walls, or however he did it, he just appeared. It was a miraculous appearance. Now in John 17, now this is the night before the cross, actually, And Jesus prayed to the Father, and he said, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. 
Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Okay, the Father sent the Son. Jesus now is sending the disciples. Okay, so now in John 20, this is the night of the resurrection. Verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. So these are instructions, the night of the resurrection. Now, you sent me into the world. This is something you should take note of uh, if you're going to read the Gospel of John. Now, we know that John is the Gospel of believing more than 90 times. In the Gospel of John, we have the verb to believe. But after that, something that is often overlooked in this Gospel is the fact that some 40 times it is said that the Father sent the Son. This is a a matter of great emphasis throughout the Gospel of John. The Father sent the Son, and the idea is that he was sent on a mission. He was sent with a purpose. There was a design in what the Father did in sending his Son into the world. And so it's very important that we understand the Father sent the Son. So in John 6, 47, well... Um, Jesus said, he who believes on me has everlasting life. But earlier he said, verily, verily, I say unto you, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and will not come into judgment, but has been passed from death unto life. That's John 5, 24. Now, I used to read that verse and say, wait a minute, it says, The one that hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life. Are we saved by believing in God? No, we have to put faith in Jesus Christ. So what is Jesus saying here? You have to believe on the one who sent me. You see, there are a lot of people who don't believe in the God who sent Jesus. A lot of people believe in God but they don't believe in the God who sent Jesus. They don't think about the Father having sent his Son into the world in order to go to the cross. All right, now, you sent me into the world, Jesus said. I also have sent them into the world. Now, when he says, I sent them, this was used of the original commission of these men in Mark 3.14. Jesus sent them. It means he sent them on a mission. He sent them with a purpose. It's used of the special commission in Luke 9, 2, where he sent out his disciples. And it's also used for the renewal of the commission after the resurrection. Um, and so this is significant. Jesus is sending them out on a mission. All right, now in Mark chapter 16... Verse 15, this was given to the 11 disciples, again, on the night of the resurrection. 
And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And these signs will follow. In my name they'll cast out demons, speak with new tongues, take up servants. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now, we're not going to go into this passage tonight. At a future time, I will uh, go through this passage and explain uh, how these things work. But uh, the signs that follow, this is specifically for the disciples. That is not for us today. So you want to go out and play with snakes or drink poison, then you are an idiot. Okay? You, you lack any kind of common sense. Jesus isn't saying to go do those things. And in fact, uh, this passage is not teaching that these are things that people ought to be doing today. But the, the command is given here, go into all the world, as you are going into all the world, preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel to every creature. All right, and then in Matthew 28, we have the most familiar form of the commission. This is given to the 11 disciples on a mountaintop in Galilee. Where did Jesus appear to the disciples the night of the resurrection? They're in Jerusalem. They're in that room where they were hiding away behind locked doors. Matthew 28 is way up in Galilee. How did they get up there? Well, Jesus told them, go meet me there. There's a specific place up there. I want you to go and meet me. And so the disciples had to make that trek all the way up to the north part of the country, and they went to this mountain, and there Jesus met his disciples. Now here he says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now, there's an awful lot in these two verses. First of all, we have the word go. It is not an imperative as such, but rather it's a participle, and it's saying, as you are going, wherever you are, this is not saying everyone has to uh, pack up and move out and go somewhere else. This is not a commandment for everyone to go. If everyone went, nobody would be home. So uh, he's not saying that. He's saying, as you are going, therefore, now the command is to make disciples. That is the imperative, to make disciples. A disciple is a student. A, a disciple is going to be a follower. And he says that disciples are to be made of all the nations, all of the people groups, all of the various ethnic groups. 
make disciples of all the nations. Now, how do you make disciples? Well, it's twofold. One is evangelism. Two is edification. So he says you do this baptizing them. Now, we don't baptize people in order to get them saved. People don't become Christians by baptizing them. Now, if you go to the city of Kiev today, there's the great main street. It's called Khrushchatik. Now, Khrushchatik comes from the Russian word that means to baptize. And what happened over a thousand years ago, the the emperor, the, the leader of the country decided that uh, he was going to be a Christian and he wanted the country to become a Christian country. And so he just rounded up all the people in the city and he marched them down this street to the Dnieper River and there he forced them to be baptized. Okay, now you've been uh, dunked in the Dnieper River, therefore you are Christians. Well, that's not the way this works. We baptize those who have put faith in Jesus Christ, and the baptism is the public declaration that these people are now the uh, followers of Jesus. They are the ones who have put faith in Jesus Christ. They are now identifying themselves publicly and willingly with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the first part here is the result of evangelism baptizing them. And this is to be done in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is something that would be shocking to the disciples when they first heard this because they've never done anything in the name of the Trinity before. This is something unheard of. But it's the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what's the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? It's not a name that you call somebody like Jack or Jill. The word name here is talking about the person, the very essence, or sometimes this word means authority, such as stop in the name of the law. What's the law's name? Henry? No. It means in the authority of the law. When we pray in Jesus' name, what does that mean? We pray in the authority of Jesus Christ. I can come with confidence into the throne room of God. I can come to the throne of grace because I have been given authority by Jesus Christ. I come on the basis of His authorization. Who let you into the throne room? Ah, I've got this authority. I got it from Jesus. That's why I pray in His name. We baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit so that now they are going to be identified with the very essence of God, with the Trinity. And then we also make disciples through edification, teaching. This is the communication of God's Word, but it's not simply the transmission of information from my notes to your notes but rather it is the transfer of information so that you become a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So he says, teaching them to observe, to do, to keep, to obey 
to perform, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Well, we have a little problem here. If you want to just look at the book of Matthew, you will find a lot of things that Jesus commanded the disciples to do that we don't do today. They don't apply to us because they were given to disciples who are promoting the kingdom of God. And so we're, we're not commanded to go out two by two. We are not commanded to go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We are not commanded to uh, keep the law in any way. So Jesus obviously had to have given them instructions. And we know from Acts chapter 1 that for those 40 days that Jesus was alive on the earth after his resurrection, he did instruct his disciples. He gave them a crash course on things related to the church age, and he's also explaining to them about the kingdom because they're saying, hey, wait a minute, we've, we've been preaching this kingdom for three years, and now what's happened to it? And Jesus says, it's not going to happen now. It's not going to be established until I return to the earth. And so he spent 40 days teaching them things related to the kingdom that has now been postponed, and he is teaching them about the things for the church age. And so he says, they need to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And then he says, and pay attention, lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Hmm. End of what age? Well, it can't be the Jewish age. For then Jesus would be saying something like, well, I'm going to be with you until I'm not with you, which wouldn't make any sense because, you see, in just a few days, he's going to ascend to his Father. So if he's talking about the end of that age... <laughs> It's only going to be a very brief time. And that's not what he is saying at all. The age that he's talking about is the age in which the disciples are going to be living. Now, there's going to be a transition from the Jewish age into the church age. But these disciples are going to be alive in the church age. And Jesus said, I'm going to be with you always, even until the end of the age in which you find yourself, in which you are living. All right, in Luke chapter 24, verses 46 through 48, this is given right before the ascension. Then he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. So he's saying, okay, in the Old Testament, it was already written that the Messiah would come. That's the Christ. He is going to suffer. He's going to pay for the sins of the world. But he's also going to rise from the dead the third day. He said it was necessary for these things to happen. But also he said, here's something. Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name. New information here. 
before we have not been preaching in the name of Messiah. He said, now you're going to preach in the name of Messiah, in the name of the Christ, in the name of Jesus. And this is to all nations, to all the people groups, all the various ethnicities found in the world. And it's going to begin at Jerusalem, and you need to move out from there. And he says, you're witnesses of these things. Now this is given just before he ascended into heaven. And then we have Acts chapter 1. This is the, just immediately before he ascended into heaven. And he said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, which is going to be 10 days from the time that he speaks this. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all, in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. All right, he said, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon them, begin new ministries, inaugurate the church 10 days from the time that Jesus spoke this. And this will happen on the day of Pentecost as recorded in Acts chapter 2. Now, he says, when this happens, you shall be witnesses to me. Now, you may have in your translation, you will be my witnesses. There's a difference of one letter in the Greek text between witnesses to me or my witnesses. Uh, but you will be witnesses to me uh, is found in the majority text in the majority of the manuscripts. And it's not simply you're going to be my witnesses, like we're witnesses who belong to Jesus, but rather he's saying you are going to give testimony to me, about me, for me, on my behalf. You will be witnesses to me. We're going to tell others about Jesus. So we're not simply those who um, have put faith in Jesus Christ and uh, belong to him. So we have these different statements given by Jesus at different times to uh, disciples in different settings. Sometimes there were different people that won uh, the mountaintop on Galilee. Some believe this is what Paul uh, was referring to in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said he was seen by more than 500 people at one time. We don't know that for certainly, but... Uh, for certain, but uh, it's very, very possible. Um, so we have these different statements, and they are known as the Great Commission. So what do the disciples do with this commission? Well, for this we have to go to the book of Acts. This is Luke's second book, the Acts of the Apostles, or perhaps the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And in, in Acts 1.8, we have the amplification of the geographical dimensions of this commission. He left no doubt that this plan was to go beyond Jerusalem and Judea 
and Galilee. He was to go even to Samaria, to the remotest part of the earth. And so this command of the Lord does involve geography, being sent all over the world. Now, someone once said that crossing an ocean never made a missionary. And we can certainly testify to that. But uh, crossing boundaries, crossing national boundaries, certainly is a part of God's global plan. All right, in Acts 1.8, you shall be witnesses. You shall be. Uh, could either be a simple statement about the future or it could be a command. The, the grammar would allow either. But I think that it is better understood as an imperative here because in Acts chapter 10, verse 42, it says, Jesus commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So here we are told that Jesus commanded the disciples to preach to the people. So he says, you will be witnesses to me. The word witness is used for one who testifies in legal matters or one who gives testimony about anything. It means to give an oral testimony. And so we are to be witnesses to or for Jesus Christ. So the fact that this commission was given immediately after the resurrection, plus during the 40 days on the earth after that, and then immediately again before his ascension, shows that this is of primary importance. And there's no ambiguity about the global nature of Christ's purposes, his plans, and his ministry. It shines throughout the whole of the gospel accounts. And then the book of Acts and the epistles show how the apostles understood and fulfilled that great commission. Now, missions, as we think about it, really never developed uh, until the middle of the book of Acts. Now, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, uh, Judea. Let's see if we can. Yeah, now we have four areas here. Jerusalem, that's your hometown. He said, you need to be witnesses in your hometown. Then Judea, that's your home country. And then Samaria, that's the neighboring country. And perhaps it's the place where you're hated. Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Samaritans didn't like the Jews. They didn't get along very well. They pretty much despised each other. But he said, you're going to be witnesses to me, even in that place where you're not well liked. And then he says, and the end of the earth. The word end is a superlative form and it means the farthest boundary of an area. So in your translation, you may have the remotest part, or some have the ends of the earth, or the end of the earth, translated different ways. The idea is there's not to be any limit to uh, this preaching of the gospel. Now, 
In fact, the disciples did not immediately obey this command. They stayed in Jerusalem until they were scattered by persecution. They didn't go out and do what God had commanded them to do, and so God brought about events to drive them out of Jerusalem and get them out of their comfort zone. And uh, they were uh, just staying right around Jerusalem until a great persecution arose following the death of Stephen. Uh, You have Stephen's great preaching in Acts chapter 7, and then he was put to death. And of course, Saul of Tarsus was there witnessing the stoning of Stephen. But then uh, right after the death of Stephen, you find in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, that the disciples are scattered. And so in Acts chapter 8, verse 1, I don't have it on the screen. I can't put it up there right now. So Acts 8, 1, Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And so because of great persecution, now the church is going to be scattered. The disciples didn't go. Why? I don't know. But they they stayed in town. But it says in Acts 8.4, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Oh, now they come under persecution, but they're not simply running away. They are preaching the word. They are taking now the message about the Christ with them. This is what I see with our Ukrainian believers. They've been scattered, and now they are in several countries in Europe, as well as scattered out away from their homes in different cities in Ukraine, and they are preaching the word. They are taking the gospel. They are continuing to believe in the Lord, his provision, recognizing that they have a job to do where they are at this time. And so now we see the church is scattered because of the persecution, but they went preaching the word. And so uh, after they are scattered, uh, we find that Philip, who was an evangelist, uh, he went down to Samaria. Now, Samaria is that place where Jews were not well received, but Philip went down there. He took the gospel. He, He preached Jesus Christ as the Savior, and a lot of people got saved. And there was also a lot of demon activity in that area. Many demons uh, were were cast out. And people got saved, and they were going throughout Samaria. And then after that, you had uh, that account with the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. So... um, 
In Acts 8, 25, you have these people that had gotten saved because of the preaching of Philip. And it says, so when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. And then Philip went still in Judea. He went and gave the gospel to that Ethiopian eunuch. Then in Acts chapter 9, you have more persecution of the church. The apostle, he was Saul of Tarsus at that time, uh, a very religious man who thought he was doing God a favor by killing Christians. Uh, He thought that they were great blasphemers. And so he is out trying to do away with the church. And this is where he met the Lord. The Lord struck him down with that blinding flash of light, and the Lord spoke to him from heaven. And Saul became a believer in Jesus that day. Well, Saul was saved, and he began preaching that Jesus was the Christ, but he ran into opposition, had a lot of opposition from the church. He was also looked at very suspiciously even by the church because he had been persecuting the church and even trying to put Christians to death. And so now the church is saying, wait a minute, maybe this is just a ruse. This is just the apostle or this is just this guy. He's trying to find out who we are. He's taking names and uh, we can't trust him. So Saul ended up going to his hometown of Tarsus and he's going to remain there until the church gets up and running in Antioch. And then there's going to be a great believer by the name of Barnabas who's going to go up to Tarsus and fetch Saul and bring him down to uh, the city of Antioch where the church has moved uh, or been formed there, and they are going to become the first sending church, the first one to send out missionaries. All right, in Acts chapter 10... This is where Peter had that vision of the animals coming down on the sheet, unclean animals, and uh, he was told by the Lord, uh, Peter, you you rise up, kill these animals and eat them. And he said, no, 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 I've never eaten these unclean animals. I'm a Jew. I I keep a kosher kitchen. I don't eat the unclean animals. And God says, don't call unclean what I've made clean. In other words, there's been a change. But also this is an announcement to Peter that he needs to expand his thinking with regard to evangelism. And he's going to be told immediately after he sees this vision that he is to go to the house of a Gentile. Well, as a Jew, he would not do that. But now he's been commanded by the Lord to do that. And so he recognizes now there is something different. And so he's going to say, well, I have a commission and I need to go beyond where I am. And uh, so he's going to take the gospel to a Gentile, a centurion by the name of Cornelius. Now in Acts chapter 11, again, Luke comes back to the fact that disciples have been scattered. And he says these scattered disciples went to Phoenicia. Well, Phoenicia is on the Mediterranean coast. This would be in the northwest part of of Israel. They also went to Cyprus. 
which is that island, large island uh, to the west of Israel. And then it says they also went to Antioch, Antioch being in Syria. And also they went to Cyrene. Cyrene is northern Africa. And so um, they went out, and they're taking the gospel to these different places. So now the gospel is beginning to spread. But Luke reports, but it's still only going to Jews. In Acts chapter uh, 11, uh, in verses 19 through uh, 26. Um, but then we come to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now in the church that was at Antioch, okay, now this is north of Israel. This is out of the country. And the church has formed there because the disciples who were being persecuted, they, uh, some of them went up to Antioch. And it says there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. All right, the... Uh, we have the statement in this verse that the Holy Spirit had um, called them, and he says, separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work I have called them to. And so he's saying here the Holy Spirit has a purpose for them and that uh, you need to send these people out. So there's going to be a responsibility of the church to recognize those who have been called by the Lord for a particular job. They do this as they have fasted, they have prayed. Laying hands on them, this is simply a recognition. This was an old ceremony. It goes clear back to the Old Testament but it's another ritual of identification. So with the laying on of hands, one thing is now identified with another. And so in a way, this is an authorization. The church lays hands on these men and saying, you are identified with us, and we're going to send you out as our representatives. So it says, they sent them away. The word means to let go, to send away. And so in verse 4 it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Now the word in verse 4 of Acts chapter 13, sent out by the Holy Spirit, it means to send out for a purpose. 
there was a specific purpose in the Holy Spirit sending out these men. And so now what is going to happen is that we're going to have Saul and Barnabas, and they are going to go on the first missionary journey. Now, a missionary journey. The church had a part. The church had a responsibility to send them out. The church recognizes these men have been called by God to do a particular job, and they are going to take the gospel to other places. They're going to take the gospel not only uh, to those who are Jews, but also to Gentiles. And the church has a responsibility now to support them with prayer, to support them with finances as well. And so missions is effective in the book of Acts because in the power of the Holy Spirit, they preached the gospel, they produced disciples, they planted churches in obedience to the Great Commission in spite of persecution, in spite of personal sacrifices. So in Acts 14.21, it says, And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples. How do you make disciples? Well, you're going to preach the gospel. And where there is a response, then these people will be identified through the ritual of identification we call baptism. And then also they need to be taught very important. When people go as missionaries, they need to have a, a goal in mind, and the goal needs to be that of making disciples. We have seen many who have gone and done evangelism, and I, I love to see people do evangelism. And I, I marvel oftentimes watching these people that uh, just go out and are so bold in giving out the gospel, but also seeing them bring people to faith in Christ. But what we have seen over and over again is that for many people, that's their goal is simply to give the gospel. But they don't make disciples. And so what happens in many cases, people come in, they do evangelism, and then they leave, and there's no follow-up. And people don't grow. And we've, we're so glad that at least there are going to be these people in heaven, but that's not the end of the spiritual life. They, they have to grow, and that means they have to be taught. There was something years ago uh, called Project 2000, and somebody came up with this idea of uh, we're going to plant 2,000 churches in a year. And they had this grand scheme of how they were going to do it, and they recruited a lot of people to go to the country of Russia, which certainly needs the gospel. And their, their goal was to send out these teams and to plant 2,000 churches. And so I met the man who was the head of this project, and I talked to him, and I said, okay, tell me about your strategy. How are you going to do this? He said, oh, we've got this all worked out. We have these teams, and they will go into a city, and they will do evangelism. And then as people are 
are saved, then we're going to form these people into a local church, and then we're going to move on to the next city and do it again. I said, wait, 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 wait. You're going to form them into a local church? Yes. I said, well, who's going to teach these people? Who's going to pastor these people? What are you going to do for leadership in these churches? He said, oh, we've got that all worked out. We'll leave a couple of people from the team behind uh, for six months to, to train the leadership. I said, in six months, you're going to have people that are equipped to, to be church leaders. They're, they're going to have the doctrinal foundation. He said, yeah. And uh, I said, well, you know, you're probably going to end up with weak churches. And particularly in that culture, if you want to appoint somebody as the head of a church, the leader in a church, uh, they grab power and they never let go of it. And they become tyrants. They become dictators over the church because now I have authority. And uh, I said, you know, what I think would be a better strategy? Let's train 2,000 pastors and then let them go out and plant their own churches rather than plant a church and, and then do it the other way around. We need to be making disciples, which requires not only giving the gospel but also teaching them. Now, we have to do the evangelism, no question, and there are always going to be those who they hear the gospel, they may respond to the gospel, and they don't don't ever get any more information. Um, it's one of the things I, I want to encourage you to go out to the county fair uh, this weekend and the following weekend. Uh, we're going to be involved in uh, doing some evangelism there. But one of the things that we want to do as we see people come to faith in Christ is to have a follow-up with them, encourage them to get into a local church where they can hear the Word of God so that they can grow uh, in their spiritual lives. So we see the Apostle Paul went out on his first missionary journey. They preached the gospel, and they made many disciples. So we're not given specifics about that. We don't have details, but we do know what is required for uh, making disciples. Um, So we have a commission. Now, it's interesting that right after the Reformation, they didn't have any missionary activity. So we have something new that was born. You now have uh, this Reformed church that developed. Martin Luther uh, was excommunicated, and and he started churches. And uh, then after him, uh, you have Melanchthon, you have John Calvin. And so the gospel began to spread, and uh, you now have churches that are springing up all over Europe, in Germany, and in Holland, in Switzerland, in France. But because of the peculiar theology that developed, they didn't send out missionaries. They had no missionary vision at all. And many of them said, well, if God wants people to be saved, he'll save them without any help from us. So we don't need to send out missionaries. Of course, the Catholic Church saw so many Reformed churches or Protestant churches being formed all over Europe, 
that they had a counter-reformation, and they began sending out missionaries big time. They sent out missionaries all over the world, and that's why you have the Catholic Church uh, found in uh, South America, in Central America, in the Philippines. They sent out missionaries all over the world. And it was only after about 200 years that the church said, you know, we ought to be sending out missionaries. And it began very slowly, and it was a a difficult transition for the church to start thinking in terms of actually sending people out in order to make disciples. But it began, and the church began sending out disciples, and it was discovered that there are a lot of people out there who are just waiting to hear the gospel. So I believe that we still have a commission today to send out missionaries. And we need to be thinking about that. And maybe you need to think about being a missionary. I think that often... People from our Bible teaching churches, such as we have here, excellent church, wonderful church. There are many churches where there's strong emphasis on teaching the Word of God, but they've never produced a missionary. I wonder why that is. I think maybe it's just because we have not challenged people to think about doing missions. And I believe that we have people in our Bible churches that ought to be out doing missions. You might say, well, I'm too old. We've seen a lot of older people, whoever they are, on the mission field. We have people, let's say, in their 60s or in their 70s. They're retired. They have a pension. Children are gone. House is paid for. And they can go live in a foreign country cheaper than they can live here in America. And we've seen people who've said all of our lives, we've talked about serving the Lord in some special way, and we finally decided we can do this. And so we don't know how long we have, how long our health will last, but right now we have the resources, and we have the health, and we have the ability, and we're going to go and serve the Lord in a foreign country. And they've gone, and we've seen some people uh, who've gone for 10 years, 15 years, and they've done a wonderful job. Maybe some of you need to consider that. Or others say, well, you know, we, we, we would have to give up this, and we'd have to give up that. And a lot of times I think it's, you know, just looking to satisfy your own desire to be comfortable and yet we need people who are willing to step up and say I'm going to go, I'm going to plant my roots somewhere else, I'm willing to go and make a difference in another country so it may be that you have a place in God's plan for missions Now, even if you don't go, I think that you need to be encouraged also about supporting missionaries. 
missionaries out on the field, away from home, a lot of challenges. You know, there, some people think, oh, you go to the missionary, you go to the mission field, and suddenly you become a super saint. It doesn't work that way. There are a lot of pressures uh, on the mission field that you don't have at home, and it it can be a struggle. We need to be encouraging our missionaries, and I think that you ought to think about how can you minister to the missionaries. We forget they need people to minister to them. We have a, we know a woman, wonderful, godly woman, loves the Lord. You know what her ministry is? I think it's just marvelous. She sends out greeting cards. <laughs> I mean, we get something on St. Patrick's Day, on Valentine's Day. Uh, it, it could be Mother's Day. It could be Thanksgiving. It could be Halloween. <laughs> she just sends out cards, and she writes a little note. And she'll, she'll write a little Bible verse in their handwritten notes. And I think it's a wonderful ministry, and she does that for missionaries, and she does it for men in the military. I think it's a great ministry. It's just an encouragement. And I've mentioned to some churches around the country, you ought to have a ministry to your missionaries. So now there are some churches who will send us their newsletter or send us a copy of their bulletin. You know, we get out on the mission field. We don't get news from home. We don't know what's happening in the churches. We don't know that the pastor's had a heart attack or a stroke or something else. How would we know? We wouldn't unless somebody writes to us. So I think that you might think about how you can minister to those on the mission field. Send them a note. Send them a card. Do something that's going to encourage them. And by all means, pray for them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have not left us here in this life just to wander around and wonder what in the world we're supposed to be doing. We know that we are to walk in the light. We know that we are to walk in the Spirit by means of the Spirit, to live according to your word. But Father, we know that beyond that, you have specific purpose for us in telling a lost and dying world how they can have life, how they can have eternal life. I pray that we might be faithful in doing here at home what needs to be done to give the good news of salvation to our family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, even people that may not like us. We pray for those on the mission field, those who have struggles, some of them struggle financially, some of them with health problems, some of them have problems with family, with children. Some of them face opposition from the governments in the countries where they live. Father, I pray that you're going to sustain those who have determined that they're going to serve you in a foreign field. You're going to provide those needs. And Father, I would pray that this day you're going to cause something to happen in their lives 
be it small, be it large, something will happen that will just give them courage to go on, make them glad that they are where they are. I pray that you'll cause something to happen that will just cheer them up or just motivate them to keep on keeping on. Father, I pray that we might have understanding about the things we have seen in your word tonight. Use it to challenge us. May you be glorified through us. We would ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.